0: This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: to the hills from where will my help come.
0: My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth.
1: The Lord will keep you from all evil. God will keep your life. The Lord will
2: keep your going out and
0: coming in from this time on and forevermore. Ever,
1: Let us pray. Holy God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we know that we are restless until we find our rest in thee. In this hour, open our hearts to praise you, and thank you for the generous mercies to us. Gracious source of our being, we praise you and thank you for even the breath of life given to us. Fill our hearts with your presence, that our mouths may proclaim your praise.
0: You may be seated. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping online. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of our Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house and all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you will kindly uh, sign the friendship pad and pass it down the pew and back again that we might greet one another by name today. We are also enormously grateful to welcome to our present, uh, to our midst in worship today uh, students from Howard University who are in Philadelphia here on alternative spring break. There's some information about that in your bulletin. And the Howard University students are graciously joining us for a bite of lunch after worship today in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp there you will find a light lunch offered for all of us but also particularly for our guests from howard university we are grateful you are with us today we look forward to hearing a little bit about the work you'll be doing this week here in philadelphia uh, i will call one thing to your attention and that is uh, When you see Jeannie Boehner today, give her a huge hug because I got a call at 3.30 this morning. We had a burst pipe in the basement and Jeannie's who came to the building. So uh, Jeannie has been here, been up for a very long time today. That is the reason we do not have any bathroom facilities to offer today. The water to the building is shut off. So I understand that presents a challenge. If you need to exit at any point during the uh, service to go find a restroom, please feel free to do so. No one will will look askance at you at all. and then also, likewise, to come back in to worship as you need to, uh, because we all need to attend to, to nature on occasion. Uh, with that being noted, we hope you will stay for lunch and uh, have well, coffee that, as I said to the congregation, you can drink sparingly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we also have a few other announcements I'd like to highlight. The next is that we have a new members class that has been scheduled now. That will take place on March 19th. The first hour will be offered hybrid. The last hour will not be offered hybrid. But if you would like to participate in that new members class to become a part of First Church, we would love to welcome you formally into the membership of the church. Just send me a note so that we can expect you and have the right amount for lunch that day. I'd also like to invite you to our Linton book study, which will continue upstairs. First, go have a sandwich with the students, and then come upstairs to the McCall room where we will continue reading Frederick Beekner's book, Wishful Thinking. You don't need to have read it in advance, and we have copies available in the office for anybody who would like to continue in that book study with us on Frederick Beekner's Wishful Thinking, upstairs in the McCall room, and probably a little bit later than usual start time today, just so we can have, have some time with our guests today. You'll see that Zia continues to need your shopping bags, and you'll see other options, uh, other opportunities, and as always, I do direct you for further detail on any of this, to our church website. There you can find many details that are somewhat limited in the back of the bulletin. I believe that covers everything, so with these things noted, let us worship God with our confession of sin.
1: <clears throat> the proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw to our Maker in candor, first together and then in silence. Holy God, Creator, Redeemer of of broken relationships sustainer of all the things. We confess that we too often is true and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ died to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, believe the promise of the gospel.
0: In Jesus Christ we are-
1: Our first lesson is taken from Genesis 12, 1, 4a, and even though two may be in your bulletin, that's an error. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from our country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who blessed you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had said, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Our second lesson, Is Romans four? I think it's a big Bible there. Romans four is our second lesson, uh, starting at uh, the first verse, going through five, and then thirteen and seventeen. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he was something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works, trust him who justified the ungodly. Such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, and calls into existence the king, the things that do not exist. The end of lesson two.
0: Our third lesson is taken from the gospel according to John. We read the third chapter, the first 17 verses. Continue to listen now for the word of God to us this day. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with anyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave the only Son so that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
2: to God you.
0: mighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. A rabbi comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness with a question disguised As a statement. We know that you are from God because how else could you do these things? How are you doing what you're doing? By what authority do you do these things? And yet he comes by night, so as not to be seen, perhaps. How often do we want to do that, to approach faith And God and Jesus hesitantly under the cover of darkness in an era when faith and the language of faith seem so often to be usurped for sometimes nefarious purposes. Perhaps we also are fearful of being seen with Jesus. A clergy colleague of mine recently admitted that When he is on an airplane, if he is asked what he does for a living, he makes up an artful dodge, anything to avoid being subjected to his seatmate's views on religion. He has, on occasion, identified himself as being in life insurance, (laughs) on other occasions as an influencer. This short passage of John's gospel is hardly short on imagery. Being born again, born from above, this is the sort of passage that seems to be bent on confusion, and Nicodemus is confused by what he hears. But confusion in John's gospel is by no means a unique experience. Frequently, conversations with Jesus Begin with some rather innocuous concept, and then Jesus replies and muddies the water completely. So often, what could have been a simple answer just isn't. Not in John's Gospel. We want clear answers, black and white, and Jesus gives us not so much gray as clay. Or cotton. It makes no sense. And in this brief conversation, Jesus throws out one of those answers that seemingly is designed to confuse. We must be born again. Being born again is such a hard concept theologically, no wonder Nicodemus approached it biologically. What does it mean? For many, it entails a conversion moment. Lightning strikes. Clarity breaks in. There is a before and an after, spiritually speaking. It's the mountaintop or the Damascus Road experience. For those who have had such moments in their lives, there is a clear before and after, perhaps Some in this room have had the experience of being born again. And we who have not had such experiences should not be quick to judge the experiences of others. Sometimes the gospel does break through with startling clarity. Other times, there is no such startling conversion. For many of us, the road to faith is a gradual one. Or even an incomplete one. I find the road to faith has always been one of continual conversion. There is not one single moment of clarity, but rather many as we are born again and again and again as we mature in faith. Here in this conversation, Jesus references a new birth, and the church has been divided ever since as to what exactly that means. What does seem clear, though, is this. If faith in God were determined by how good, how respectable, how upstanding we are, then Nicodemus needed nothing further because Nicodemus was all of those things. This is not Jesus telling someone who is skating on thin ice to get a hold of themselves. This is Jesus telling someone who very much has his act together in every imaginable way that he also needs a new perspective on faith. Merely conforming to certain beliefs and practices does not translate into discipleship. But it's tempting to see it that way because it's so much easier to reduce faith to conforming to a particular understanding of beliefs and practices. Some years back, I taught a class in which I presented an article provocatively titled, not my article, I used the article, provocatively titled, The Rise of the Nuns. Perhaps some of you may recall it. For those of you recovering from parochial school education, we're not talking about nuns with rulers. We're talking about the N-O-N-E-S. It refers to those who, when asked in a survey about their religious background, check the box, "None." In 2012, social scientists concluded that the percentage of folks who identified as nuns had doubled from 1990 to 16% of the population. Naturally, I revisited this this week to find out what the current statistics are, and that figure has been revised upward to 20 to 29% of the population who identify as none of the above when it comes to religious faith. And yet, at the time of that first survey, only 4% of the population self-identified as agnostic or atheist. Indeed, later in the same article, a Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life survey conducted in 2009 reported that when the respondents were asked whether they believed in God or prayed, 40% were fairly religious think as well of that category that is so often wrongfully maligned in church, those who identify as spiritual but do not want to claim a religion. Well, in this class, we were thinking about what we believe. We were talking about it. Of course, for such orderly people as Presbyterians, we veered toward our confessional statements. Naturally, as people with an inordinate amount of pride in our procedures and documents, we have lots of them. We so often recite the Apostles' Creed because I have a bias that for a creedal statement to become part of us, part of our identity and faith, we need to repeat it. We need to live with it. We need to read it. We make ourselves recite it. That's what Moses was talking about when he instructed the Israelites, the Hebrews, to nail the word to the door frames of their houses. So they saw it as they came and went, to bind it on their their hands and their foreheads. It was to live with the word of God until it comes to live in us. So I was fulminating on this concept to this class, and a member said something that stopped me in my tracks. Actually, he made me laugh because it's so true. He said, when I have heard folks say why they have joined the church over the last ten years, no one has said, I joined the church because you have such lovely creeds. I had to laugh because it's true. And I wonder as well if that is the heart of what drives the nuns and what pushes away the spiritual but not religious. I wonder if the reason those who nevertheless pray and believe in God but count themselves among those who check the box "none," do so because they are afraid of rigid dogmatics. How tragic if the church is seen primarily as a place of dogmatics and legalism. Now, dogma does have a place in the Church. It is very important to be clear about what we believe. I know that's an unpopular thing to say at times, but it is important that we be able to articulate what it is that we believe about God. And as Presbyterians, we have among our sources among other sources, two thick volumes of Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, wherein he sought primarily to make faith in God accessible and understandable. And for the true gluttons for punishment, Karl Barth offered what seems like countless volumes of the church dogmatics. As I said, it is important to be clear about what we believe, But isn't Jesus, in this moment, saying something more than that? Isn't Jesus saying to Nicodemus himself, a teacher, that in answer to his question seeking to deconstruct Jesus' authority, that there is more? It is possible to spend so much time on the deconstruction of church teachings that we miss the essential point of the lesson. A while back I read an article about Jacques Derrida, a French philosopher who is considered by many to be the father of the deconstructionist movement, and for what it's worth I think Derrida asked some very important questions. But in this article there was a line from a professor that captured so much of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. John Caputo of Syracuse University writes, I agree that there's much more to religion than what is stated in creeds. There are rituals, ascetic practices, moral codes, poetry, and symbols. But for most people, believing that God exists entails believing such propositions is that there is someone who guarantees that justice will eventually prevail. That there is no suffering without meaning, that there is life after death where we may find eternal happiness. Perhaps Jesus is inviting us to worry a bit less about whether or not our theological leanings one way or the other are justified. Perhaps Jesus is inviting us not to To know the confessions and creeds so well that we may recite them by rote, but instead to know him. Nicodemus came to Jesus wanting to know what what he was about, what defined him, what theology was his driver. And Jesus instead invited him to know him. Jesus instead invited him to enter into a kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. And that's a very different thing, isn't it? It's a different thing to be invited into a redemptive way of life rather than to be told that the essence of faith can be wrapped up neatly and conveniently into tidy, logically cohesive packages. I have come to believe that following Jesus is much messier than that. Following Jesus may very well lead us to a place of struggle. Following Jesus Christ may very well lead us to places of uncertainty. Nonetheless, it is a calling to live in Christ's way without much clarity sometimes, other than that Jesus is the one doing the calling. In short, There's that call to be born again, and again, and again, and again. Raymond Brown writes, Jesus' answer is meant to show Nicodemus that Jesus has not come from God in the sense that Nicodemus thought as a man approved by God, but in the unique sense of having descended from God's presence to raise us up to God. For those of us who want to be justified in the sense that Paul writes of in Romans, who want to see faith as a mechanism by which we can control discipleship, this flies in the face of that. Because Jesus instead invites us to follow him with the very same invitation that Nicodemus received. And in following him, to know that our lives will face constant rebirth as we grow into what God is creating us to be. What a terrifyingly vague, ambiguous, undefined place to be. And I suspect that Jesus knew that because of what follows next, the 16th verse. And I would dare say a great many of us know these words by heart as well. That God so loved the world that God gave the only Son, that so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And just in case that isn't clear enough for us, the 17th verse goes on. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. And for anyone who ever faces someone who wants to use the Christian faith as a bludgeon to coerce the nuns or the spiritual but not religious into a forced faith, that verse stands as a stark warning that God doesn't need us to do any of that. God just needs us, wants us, to follow Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means to be justified? It means to be shown to be right, or at least that's the way this world defines it. But God defines it differently. For God, to be justified means that God sees us like we are Jesus, even though we are not, whether we are right or wrong, just, or unjust. God looks at us as if we were Jesus Christ himself. That is how we are invited into the kingdom that Jesus is preaching. And in turn, in response, we may receive Jesus into our own lives. But that has its risks because it is just as undefined as all the rest of it. I love the way Marcella Marie Holloway puts it. You take a risk when you invite the Lord, whether to dine or talk the afternoon away for always the unexpected soon turns up. A woman breaks her precious nard. A sinner does the task you should assume. A leper who is cleansed must show his proof. Suddenly you see your very roof removed and a cripple clutters up your living room. There is no telling what to expect when Christ walks in your door. The table that is set for four must often be enlarged. In decorum thrown to the wind, it's his voice that calls them, and it's no use to bolt and bar the door. His kingdom knows no bounds of roof or wall or floor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: church what do we believe that is the some- believe in God the Father almighty maker of Remembering that all we have and all that we are is a gift from God. Let us return to God the gifts of what we have taken from God's abundance. And the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering, remembering that God loves a cheerful giver. You you may bring your offering forward during the offertory. Place them in the plates after the service, or place them in the plates after the service. You may also give online information is available in the card in the dedicate this offering to you to be used as you will. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, we adore you, and we come now with grateful hearts in thanksgiving for the many blessings you have given us especially your gift of love by your death on the cross. We thank you for the deposit of your Holy Spirit in us and the grace given us every moment of every day. We thank you for this worship this morning, for all who use their gifts in praise to your name. We pray for those who are homebound, and ask that you minister to their spirits even now. We recognize with sadness of our troubled world, knowing that the power of change resides in you, so we ask that you teach us to hear your will in what we are to do as you, God, strengthen those who lead this city, the commonwealth, and this country. We pray for peace in the war zones of this world. For those who are suffering for events of the weather. For those who have been neglected by others or marginalized or hated or even shot. We pray for those who are in prison both in facilities and in their minds. Oh God, we ask that you look upon those who are sick at home or in hospitals those facing surgery, and those awaiting diagnostic decisions. And Lord, for those who are in transitions from earthly life, may their crossings, we pray, be in peace. As we depart from this worship today, may the words of the sermon feed our spirits during this week. As we now pray as you taught your disciples to pray together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
0: congregation is an aggregate of the gifts of its members and so we are grateful to God today for the gifts of John Rogers and Michael Smith who have isolated the faulty pipe and shut it down there is now water on the first and second floors of this of the building huge thanks to them (laughs) however there is not water in the basement do not use the basement bathrooms now As you go from this place, go prepared to be born again and again and again as you follow where our servant Lord is calling you. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.